That Medic Podcast, your bi-weekly dose of education and inspiration in the healthcare field. Hey everyone, I'm Simmer, a student at Harvard University. And I'm Daniela, a student at Oxford University. And this is That Medic Podcast. Enjoy! In this episode, I have the privilege of speaking to Dr. Bascaradas, who is an orthopedic surgeon, strategy consultant, and co-founder of the education startup Eureka Doc. We discuss various topics, including management consulting for medics, writing a book, using MBTI in business, and advice for medical students interested in clinical entrepreneurship or consulting. I hope you enjoy the episode. Before we launch into the episode, I want to briefly tell you a bit about Amboss, who are kindly sponsoring the podcast. Created by a team of dedicated physicians from around the world, Amboss is an interactive library of over 20,000 medical topics interlinked with a question bank holding more than 5,500 clinical case-based questions. With all the necessary resources in one place, Amboss instantly delivers up-to-date medical knowledge to students, physicians, and faculty globally. Amboss has powerful learning and clinical tools combined into one platform, making studying a breeze and life on the wars easier. With the Amboss library and question bank side-by-side, students can look up terms instantly when solving questions. Students and physicians around the world use Amboss material to excel in their exams and on the wards. Sign up in minutes at amboss.com. Try Amboss risk-free with a trial today. Hi, welcome to the show, Dr. Vascaradas. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Hi, Daniela. Nice to meet you. Lovely to meet you. We have a tradition of starting each podcast episode with the question, why medicine? I don't think anybody really knows what they're getting into when they sign up to A100 on the UCAS form. I think it was just a chance to do something good with my life, help people. And I really like biology. Couldn't think of anything better. I did like computing, but somehow ended up in medicine and here I am. I completely agree that as an 18-year-old, it's really hard to imagine exactly what the five or six years in medical school will actually be like. After medical school, you trained in orthopedic surgery and then started working for a big four company as a management consultant. What inspired you to go into management consulting? In terms of why I wanted to go into consulting, again, completely by accident. Very senior trainees at the end of their career ladder were doing additional degrees and doing other things in addition to their sort of standard training. So we were always driven to differentiate ourselves. And for me, I thought, do I want to do a PhD? Do I want to stare down a microscope looking at cartilage or bone for three years? And that's like none of that appealed to me. So I ended up thinking, right, I, w- I really like teaching and management. So I started off doing a master's in education. And then on one of the modules, there was a management module. And I just found that so fascinating. And then I ended up doing an MBA and then randomly spoke to another medic who was doing consulting. I found him on LinkedIn and I rang him and I said, what is this consulting like? What's it about? Why do people go into it? And he said, well, I'm at a hiring. Why don't you come along for a chat? I didn't realize what I was going to be interviewed for this firm. And I turned up and then they said, look, we really need people. Why don't you come along? I thought, okay, I'm on an out of program, which I was on. I changed my MBA to part-time and took an additional year out and did consulting alongside my MBA. So it was a complete accident that I fell into it, but it was a good opportunity. And I thought I'd learn some other skills and learn about NHS issues from the other side because we see it as a clinician so I just wanted to see the other side of things really. Could you please expand on what this experience was like? Did you have a chance to work on any projects that really stood out to you? So it can be really varied. It can be a mixture of private sector or public sector work. 
One of my first few pieces of work that I was involved in was a consulting project for the public sector. And we were responsible for the merger of two NHS trusts. The reason the two trusts were merging is that one of them had safety issues and they had some financial difficulty. So the larger trust was going to merge with them in order to sort of rescue the smaller trust and ensure services were safe and affordable so that people didn't miss out on things they needed. So my job was to help integrate the surgical work stream. Essentially, they said, here's two hospitals. These are the names of all the surgeons. And you've got three months to get them to talk to each other and figure out in a year's time how they're going to merge everything. So that was my first project. <laughs> Obviously, I had to do a lot of learning as I went along. And you learn in consulting that there's something called program management, which is a, a well-defined structure in terms of the process in which these things happen. You have day one and a day 100 plan. So on day one, if the institutions were to merge tomorrow, on day one, what would it look like? Where would people go to work? Where would people have their surgery? So that's your day one plan. And at day 100, because obviously a merger doesn't happen overnight, after 100 days of the merger, how would things evolve? So suddenly you learn about how big things happen in the world of the NHS. And it's really interesting. There are a lot of things in terms of HR, organizational stuff, but there's also things about personality and working with people because especially in surgery, people have big egos. So how do you manage that? And how do you get the right thing done by bringing people on board? This is something that's useful to learn in any avenue of life. That was one of the projects that I got involved in. That sounds really interesting. And I think challenging at the same time, making sure that everything works on an individual and organizational level. Absolutely. And one of the other things I want to add to that is that as a clinician or someone with a medical background, it's really important to be involved in things like that because one of the merger work streams was about the operating theatres and ITU. So patients who had complex surgery would go to ITU for their post-op care. In the initial plan, they were going to put ITU and the operating theatres on two different sites. And so anyone who had complications would have to jump in an ambulance and take 30 minutes to get to ITU. And there was this one meeting where I said, guys, did you think this through properly? Why is ITU on a completely different site from surgery? And they were like, oh, yeah, we've got ambulances to take people. I really said, look, this is not going to work because you need to have it in the same place. As a clinician, you can bring in things like that to say what will work, what won't work, and then find the best way forward, really. That is great that your medical background was very helpful for that project. You wrote a best-selling book called Management Consulting for Medics about your experience. What inspired you to write it and how did you find the process of writing the book? What inspired me was the fact that I went in and learned so much. No one had ever written about it before. It was a complete new scenario in terms of the process to get into consulting, what you're life is like and in terms of your identity as a medic the first day of being a management consultant i had an identity crisis i didn't know what i was was i a doctor who's now a management consultant i felt like a bit of a fraud saying i'm a management consultant now after day one so so many things that people hadn't told you about or taught you about i learned the hard way so i thought right i've learned so much over these two three years i'm going to write it down so that anyone who wants to take a similar path won't be starting from scratch and just to show people that look it can be done and these are the things you can do and how to prepare yourself on the way. It was just to pass on my knowledge, really. You're, the other part of your question, how did I find writing the book? I'm someone who gets excited by new projects. So at the beginning, it was great. Yeah, this is going to be fun. And then towards the end, it was difficult. But I had someone who was very good at encouraging me to write. At the time, my co-founder, Eureka Dr. Lafina Diamandis, she said, look, 
this is how you write a book. And she encouraged me every step of the way with her enthusiasm and support and someone to nudge me along and say, look, this is what you need to do. Bring your authenticity into it. Bring who you really are and put that on paper. That made things a lot easier, having a supporter and someone to push you along. It was long in terms of setting aside the time. That's what's the challenging thing about these things. I had to get up every day. I didn't have to, but it's the only way I got it written was I got up at 5.30 in the mornings and a little bit on the book every day. Sometimes I'd write on the train because I had a 45 minute train journey. I'd get my laptop, sit on the tube and type. And that was the best way of doing it in small increments, but it was tricky at the end. But I then started enjoying it again because then I realized, actually, I just want to bring my experiences. Once you remember why you're writing it, it becomes easier. So anyone who wants to write a book, figure out why you want to write it, what you want to put across to who and just start. That's great advice. You mentioned your co-founder, Dr. Diamandis. How did you start Eureka Doc? Again, both of us met at an event where we were looking at what things you can do outside of medicine. And both of us were very aligned in that neither of us wanted to follow the normal conveyor belt pathway in medicine. I think a lot of our career paths are driven by what our friends think or what our professor tells us to do. And you kind of become one track minded. You think, okay, this is the only way. And you try and draw inspiration. And sometimes it just doesn't work. You don't find anyone that you can relate to or a particular path that you want to commit to without seeing what else is out there. Both of us were very much in that zone of what else can we do being who we are? We prepare for medicine since we were 15. We went through six years of medical school. We're just on this escalator to somewhere. But what else is out there? We just wanted to stop and set up an organization that helped us as much as everybody else to bring other people who'd done different things, like people who'd become a chef or an artist or a management consultant, and just bring lots of different people to medics to say, look, here's, here's someone that was in your position a few years ago who did something crazy and came back and really enjoy their life now. Just a way of inspiring people. Fantastic. I think that's such a useful resource because I completely agree with what you said that it's often about who you're surrounded by. It can really help to see someone who's done it before so you have someone to look up to and someone to help you along the way. Could you share a little bit more about what courses you've done at Eureka? I know you're involved in teaching the mini MBA in healthcare. So not everything we did at Eureka.worked. Tried lots of different courses. We did a public speaking course, which personally I found really interesting, but we didn't market it very well. So not many people turned up. It was a bit of a shame, but it was a great course. We got something out of it. We did a property investing for doctors course. Now that was always full up and people were fascinated by that one. The mini MBA course is always packed as well. Anything we found interesting, making apps for medics, that was one of our courses. So we tried lots of different things. Really, we were just experimenting. Anything that we found fascinating or that would be useful to medics, we just wanted to put it out there, put a spotlight on it and tell the world about it. There wasn't one thing that we did. Gradually, we honed into a few things like property investing or business skills for medics because we realized that was what we were good at and that's what people wanted to hear from us. It's another useful thing for people who are thinking about branching into a different career. You've always got to think about what knowledge and skills you have that you can bring to the table because those are always the ones that you're going to be able to use in setting up a business or market. It's all about your perspective and your unique niche. If you're good at something and you can teach others or you can market that really well, together with medicine, you become a really powerful combination. 
And certainly that's what sets you apart. If you're a medic plus something else you're really good at, you will have a unique perspective that no one else will have. This links to this Eureka Doc video where you encourage individuals to invest in discovering who they are and how their mind works. What are some ways that medical students can do this in addition to taking tests like the online MBTI personality test? Myers-Briggs is one of my favorite topics, so I'm happy to expand on more of that. If the question is how do you discover who you are, there are things that you can do yourself and things that you can do with other people. In terms of things that you can do yourself, obviously take kind of personality tests to learn a bit about how you work and how you think. The other thing I would really recommend is get something like a passion planner uh, or a journal and dedicate a set time each week that you allocate. So for example, Sundays, either at 9am in the morning or 9pm when nothing else happens. Set aside half an hour to get your journal out for the week and say, look, who am I? What have I done this week? What do I want to achieve? Look back at your previous week. What were the good things? What were the bad things? So journaling is something really useful because when you commit your mind to paper, suddenly you're accountable and you can be very honest with yourself about who you are and what you want from life. So that's the things that I would do by yourself, uh, as well as read forums and watch YouTube videos. Not too many, but things that are related, things you're interested. The other thing is talk to people. Talk to your family, talk to people that you admire or role models or people that seem to be enjoying their life. In fact, as a kind of a tangent, when picking your medical or surgical specialty in hospital, look at not only the subject material in terms of do I like paediatrics or nephrology, look at the people doing the various firms, registrars or the consultants. Do they enjoy their life? Do they enjoy their career? Do they come into work tired all the time and miserable and talk badly about their patients? Or do they really come in with an energy and a vigor to say, look, right, what are we doing today? Let's do this, come to work to do something useful and then go home and live their life. I think the time where you had to dedicate everything to medicine and be all in and come home burnt out and retire early because it was too stressful, those days are gone. I think quality of life, mental well-being, all these things are really important and we have to take care of ourselves and we have to enjoy our work and make time for our personal lives as well. That's fantastic to hear. I'm hoping to have a career that I really enjoy and not be burnt out. I'm really happy that in past years, this has been a conversation in the field and that change is happening. Could you expand on Myers-Briggs briefly now? So Myers-Briggs, the MBTI test, is something that's based on Carl Jung, who is a Swiss psychologist. He developed a series of questions and a way of dividing people up into 16 broad categories. Essentially, it talks about whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, i.e. do you get your energy from other people and outside, or do you get your energy from inside? Are you an introvert? Not in the terms of are you sociable or not. Are you an introvert as in does the idea of going to a party and meeting strangers enthuse you, or do you just want to lock yourself in your room all day, or do you prefer learning things in isolation? Do you learn from other people? So where you get your energy from is one important factor. The second important part of Myers-Briggs is how your mind works in terms of how you take in information. Are you a sensor or are you an intuitive? Sensor uses data, they use facts, their memories. An intuitive is someone who makes connections, who thinks of bigger picture things and has a long range vision. The third category is are you a thinker or a feeler? Do you respond to things primarily logically and then use your feelings or empathy? Or are you someone that responds primarily with feelings and empathy first and then uses your logic? And the last one, are you a perceiver or a judger, which is how you use that information and make decisions and how you act under pressure. For all of these, what we call preference pairs, introversion or extroversion, sensing or intuition, thinking or feeling, we all can do all of them. 
but we have these preferences. So using those four different categories, of which there are two of each, you can get a combination of 16. Once you figure out which of those 16 you are, it's scary how accurate sometimes they can be. Sometimes they hone into kind of one or two. Uh, have you done the MBTI? Yes, I have. I did it, I think, for the first time when I was 16. And I completely agree. That's why I'm smiling right now, that it can be scarily accurate. Yes. Am I allowed to ask which type you are? Of course. I got the advocate INFJ type. Oh, I see. I'm an ENTP. For example, INFJs, if you don't mind me talking about what I know about INFJs, they're very thoughtful people. There's a bit of a paradox. This may not apply to everybody, but they need their personal time, but they also like making connections with people. So there's always that conflict, like, actually, I really like people, but I need my space. And you care deeply about big world issues, people's values and doing the right thing. An ENTP like myself, like putting out energy and like starting new ventures, trying different things, but not good at finishing tasks, which is why if you start a business or a team, great to have someone who's better at deadlines and bring that sort of stuff to the team. Knowing who you are is one aspect of it. You can learn how to work better. And then if you're building a business or a team, finding complementary people is also really useful. I could talk for hours about MBTI. Now let's take a quick break to listen to a short message from our sponsors. Amboss is a medical knowledge platform built on three fundamental elements. At the core, a comprehensive medical library helps students learn the facts and the nuances of medicine. Also central is the QBank. By using these tools, students unlock the third element, personalized analytics, which helps students make smart studying decisions. Three essential tools of learning, all in one place. It's no surprise Amboss has become one of the most popular resources for students and schools worldwide. Ready to take a closer look? Sign up for a free trial today at amboss.com. If I can ask, as a co-founder, when you're putting together these teams, you actually take the time to make sure everyone's taken the test and, and put together their personalities when you're building your team to make sure that you have a team that can produce the best results and that everyone's skills complement each other? It's almost yes and no. I also trained as an MBTI coach. And one of the things that they teach you to do is not to hire people based on the MBTI types. Because MBTI is a tool for self-understanding. It shouldn't be used as a selection tool to say, okay, the, this personality type is not good for this, or that's the wrong way to use it. I, when building a team, hire people for enthusiasm, for values, for skills whether they complement other people. Once we're in a team, when we're figuring out how to allocate tasks or what responsibilities people will have or how to work with them, then MBTI is invaluable because the ENFPs or the champions, such as Lafina, you would want to put in a public facing role to drum up enthusiasm, to get people to join the organization or someone who is an ISTJ, for example, who's introverted, sensing, thinking, judging, be very detail orientated, very logical, very methodical. They'll be perfect at looking at your accounts or making sure that you're not losing money or that the contracts you sign are happening properly. Figuring out people's unique skills and what they can bring to the table is amazing because once you start figuring it out, it's great because your team can really fly because you know who would want one kind of task and who would want another. There's a type called an ESTP. They love talking to people. They can't sit still. They're always out and about. They never come on online courses. They're always playing sport. They're always at the gym and they're talking to people. They make great salespeople and they're awful at sitting behind a desk. So you would never give an ESTP an important task of sitting down, looking at the fine print because they'll just gloss over it and everything will come crashing down. 
unless of course they are fully aware of their tendency not to want to do that and they balance it out by making a special focus but you would want that estp out there telling people to join your organization or come and buy your products or whatever it is you're doing it's a unique tool that's underused i think so how exactly does mbti coaching work it depends on the context in which you're asked to assist somebody first of all you have to get the right type or at least hone it down to one or two and ironically that's a decision for the individual you can take any test in the world but it can be influenced by the way the questions are worded how you're feeling or how you feel you ought to answer and when you come to settle on your type be aware that is this a right fit for me and check that it's the right type for you. And then it's a matter of what you want to use it for. For me, I find it great to launch a business. I also find it really interesting when working with colleagues when sometimes there can be a conflict or you might find, actually, I don't get on with my boss as well as I do with other people or actually get on really well with this person. And it's useful to kind of do a mental check on, okay, so they're probably this type. Okay, okay, I see. For example, I worked with an ISTJ boss, detail-orientated, facts, deadlines, logic. You won't get any empathy. In fact, there's a saying, don't buy bread from a hardware store. If you want a nice warm loaf of bread, you don't go to somewhere that sells tools. You're just going to be disappointed. You want a nice warm fuzzy bakery. From an ISTJ boss, you're not going to want empathy or if your dog is sick, your ISTJ boss is not going to be interested. But your boss is going to give you really good feedback on how you did that operation or how you should have done the operation and find someone else for your empathy. An ENFJ or an INFJ is someone who's going to be your best friend when you're sad. And they're going to come and say, oh, don't worry, you know, you're doing the right thing. They'll be the best ones to cheer you up. But the problem with INFJs, they might take on everybody's worries. And then they'll be like, oh, my God, all these people telling me all this stuff. It's a double-edged sword. Knowing about who you're working with as well as yourself is really useful. Indeed. Switching gears a little bit now. Hmm. You're a partner and co-founder at Innovax, where you help individuals and organizations deal with various challenges, including those that are pandemic related. How have you found this and what have you learned? With respect to Innovax, we're still learning. So we're a young organization. We know what we're doing. We want to improve sort of healthcare systems. We want to bring knowledge that all of us have. We all worked in consulting firms, but we worked with teams that we didn't think were effective and were more interested in making a profit. We wanted to bring an ethical side to consulting and actually help the organizations we work with. Because a lot of consulting companies turn up to an organization, sell them a bunch of PowerPoint slides and leave. So we wanted to work with organizations, pass on our knowledge and skills, and also train up the people within the organization to be able to do their own consulting so that we can leave the organization a better place. So we're still working things out. In the middle of the pandemic, it's hard to make contacts and start a business because you just don't get the face time. So that's been a real challenge. We're aware that the pandemic itself has brought a lot of challenges for the NHS. For example, increased waiting lists and how to select patients and how to do things safely. It's always been a challenge in consulting about how to deliver more for less and how we can use remote technology to help and work with people to bring a structured approach to solving their problems. It's really interesting work. We're still growing. Michelangelo said, I am still learning at the age of 87. I feel like that most days. We're always learning something. It's that gross mindset that Carol Dweck talks about, isn't it? No one should really have a fixed mindset in this day and age. There's always something to learn and always something to aspire to and evolve. And I hope that I continue evolving and developing well into my 60s or 70s. Hopefully after that, I can chill for a bit. <laughs> Speaking of the future, 
where do you see the projects you're involved in in yourself career-wise in five years? My primary focus is always my orthopedic career and my family. So juggling those two is a big enough challenge already, but something I really enjoy. In fact, I'm just going to tangent again and say this. You can only really focus on three things properly at any one time. You can multitask. You can work on five or six different projects for a short period of time, for a few weeks, for a few months. But in the long run, you have to pick three things. One can be career, one could be family, and one could be a sport or a business or something else. But you have to pick three. Some people pick a career, a private practice, and something else, and they neglect their family. Some people neglect their health. So pick three. My career, my family, and some business ventures. That's my three. In terms of my short-term goal, my orthopedic career is my main focus. I want to be a consultant in a department where I can add value, where I can do good operations and help people. I want my family to be well looked after and happy. In fact, I'm teaching my kids all kinds of things that they probably shouldn't know as a nine-year-old about business and psychology and money management. But I, I want to give them little things in their head that when they're older, they'll be like, oh my God, my dad said something about this when I was nine and now it makes sense. I want them to learn some of the things that I learned later on in life, but early, but without them realizing. In terms of career trajectory, my ultimate goal is to build a hospital or a school in a developing country. I want to set up a private-public partnership where some private work can fund the public work in an area of need. So that's my ultimate goal. But I'll set that for around age 50. I really like how you talked about the importance of the three things. I think we're all curious about how you combine and balance all of this. Can you please expand on your general approach to time management? I think the key thing is not only is it about time management, but it's about energy management. In terms of time management, you've got to be ruthlessly organized by my personality type. I'm not an organized person, but I've learned that I, because I'm not, I have to work extra hard to catch up. I have the passion planner that I've touched on. I, on a weekly basis, I figure out what I need to do when. I divide my evenings into 45-minute chunks. Any given day, you can probably do three things after university or after your work. One of those could be going to the gym. One of those could be hanging out with your family. And one might be working on your business. So divide your evenings into 45-minute chunks. Three of those, figure out when you're going to slot in stuff. Deal with things that come up then and there. There's a book by David Allen called Getting Things Done. He says, never handle a piece of paper twice. I.e., if you walk through the door, you pick up a letter. Once you've read it, don't leave it. Either put it in the bin, shred it, act on it, or put it in a special organized system where you know that you need to deal with it, but you also know when you're going to deal with it. The same with emails. If you get something, delete it or mark it as unread or put it in a folder to deal with. Have a collection system. If it's a quick reply, reply straight away. And if it's not important, leave it. Set aside your time for when you're going to deal with these things that need action. I do my phone calls when I'm driving. I can figure out lots of things. In fact, our first call was when I was driving. And you can say, okay, this is important. Or this is something I'm interested. Then one of your 45-minute blocks you can allocate to whatever comes of those. Figure out when you have your most energy to do things. Hack who you are. I know that after this call, I need to do some exercise. So I've left my trainers outside the door. As soon as we hang up, I'm going to trip over my trainers. Going to have to put them on and do some exercise. Set yourself up with little things to make yourself succeed. Manage your energy and your time wisely. Prioritize. You've probably heard of the urgent important matrix. Box one, the urgent important, do it straight away. Not important, not urgent. Delegate it, just don't do it, forget about it. 
But box two, the important but non-urgent things is where you have to spend your life. And that's where you, your passion planner fits in. That would be my advice about time management. That's very useful. Thank you. To conclude the episode, could you please share three pieces of advice for students interested in clinical entrepreneurship or consulting? In terms of consulting or clinical entrepreneurship, I'll answer them slightly separately, consulting. Something really practical, go on LinkedIn, find people related to your school or university or people that you know who are in consulting and send them a LinkedIn. Just a really small message. Hi, I'm so-and-so, I know you through this, or you went to the same school with me, or you know so-and-so I'm a friend with. And then ask him your question. Do you like consulting? Do you have any openings? Can we have a coffee? Just a small reach out on LinkedIn, and then you'll find out more about that. In terms of clinical entrepreneurship, similar, find people you're interested in, reach out to them. You will knock on about 10 doors and maybe one of them will open. If you knock on 100, you'll be even luckier. But the key thing there is whatever you choose to do, I would say find a problem that you're passionate about solving. And usually it's something that you've experienced, business or trying to set something up. You've really got to figure out what is the problem I'm solving and who am I solving it for? If you can't, in simple words, explain that, your idea is probably too vague or you need to think it through. What is the problem I'm solving and who am I solving it for? Once that is crystal clear, then step two, find people with complementary skills who are as interested in it as you are. So when you talk to people, the people go, oh, yeah, that's a really good idea. And you know they're good at something that you need for your organization. Bring them on board. And finally, know your values and know your skills. What kind of a person are you? What do you need from this? Because any kind of side hustle or additional thing that you want to do has to align deeply with who you are. And there's something called a values-based exercise, which is worth doing as well. And you can Google it, but essentially you, you set a timer for five minutes and you write down 20 words that you think describe you. And then you stop the timer and then you circle the five that you think are the most important. And suddenly you think, oh my God, these are the five that I'm really interested in. And not the five you think other people think are important, the five of the 20 you've written. So it could be smart, successful, funny, rich poor, fit, healthy, whatever it is, 20 things that describe you. And then stop the timer and imagine at your funeral, what would people say about you? What do you want to say about yourself? And circle the five and that would be your values. And then once you know your values, you have to live your life and run your businesses in alignment with your values and every day will be easy. So one of my values is helping people. Saying yes to this podcast is really easy because I can share something to help people. I think it's a good use of time and it's not draining me at all. It's really interesting talking about this stuff and I've enjoyed it. It aligns with who you are. You can do it. Find a problem that's worth solving. Find people to join you on that journey and make sure it lines up with who you are and what you want from life. That would be my advice. Fantastic. Thank you so much. That's really helpful advice. And I'm looking forward to trying some of these exercises and your other fantastic tips. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been an absolute privilege and pleasure to have you. Uh, no problem, Daniela. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode. I hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. We would really appreciate it if you subscribed, gave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. For more content and resources from That Medic Network, please follow us on our social media. All the links are in the podcast description below. Thank you and have a good week.